Hey, folks, I'm Tom. Keith Jones here. A reminder, as we do typically at this point, right before the weekly Front Row Knowles podcast begins, don't forget about the Dunlap Champions Club. Football season is creeping closer, and that means you need to take care of yourself. If you haven't been in there yet, many of you probably have at this point. It's a tremendous experience. Chairback seats, food and beverage, air conditioning when needed. Uh, it's a great facility. You and I have had the opportunity to be there for some other functions up there on the fourth floor not related to football, and obviously that entire facility uh, really added a great deal to Dope Campbell Stadium and really adds a great deal to the game day experience. Hey, it's a really, really good experience. If you haven't been in there or if you have and you want to learn more, call them, take a tour, uh, check it out. Uh, do yourself a favor this season, even if you have other tickets or you don't want to commit to uh, a five-year agreement for club seats in the in the Dunlap Champions Club, go ahead and sample at least for one game or get a three-game ticket pack. And the three-game ticket packs, you get to choose Virginia Tech, Clemson, or Florida, one of those three games. And then the other two games come from the remaining home schedule, which is Samford, Northern Illinois, Wake Forest, or Boston College. It's only 700 bucks for those three games. Includes all your food and non-alcoholic beverage. Uh, beverages. Well worth it. Very much so. And again, uh, we've got some nighttime kicks, but sometime during the year there's going to be some afternoon games in that sun. And being able to get inside and enjoy those uh, air-conditioned facilities, uh, a great plus on game day. Visit Seminoles.com backslash tickets for more information. Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee, this is Front Row Knowles with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener, online at ctf.nu. Now, here's Tom and Keith. Hello, everybody. We welcome you to Front Row Knowles. Tom and KJ reunited. Keith, it is good to see you. It is good to be seen. It has been so long since we have sat side by side here in the luxurious studios at 97.9 ESPN Tallahassee. Prime Meridian that as Studios. I look up, you have a full beard. This is officially well, summer. It is summer, and I would not call it a full beard. I would call it an attempt at a full beard. There's two things lacking. Number one, it's only one color, which is white. And number two, it ain't full. There's some places it don't grow. I was going to give you gray, but you're right. It is closer to white. Nevertheless, obviously, you have uh, been on vacation, lost the razor. I have. I have. I have. Hopefully, you don't find it. Well, we'll we'll see. Kathleen wants me to keep it. I don't like. I don't necessarily like it, but uh, I may try it for a while. We'll see. This is radio, so nobody's going to object. And, any, I got, any and, I, that, and I've got the face made for it, as we have said over and over and over again. We're going to have some fun today on the show because it's July, which means there's not a lot of breaking news to talk about, although there is baseball news for Florida State. We'll get to that in a moment. But we are going to stroll down memory lane because I know if you're anything like me, you still get asked about it, and I do. It, I don't know how frequently, but it comes up I, it's maybe monthly I run into somebody who mentions it. I'm talking about primetime Knowles, which we used to do on Sunshine Network and later Sun Sports. I get asked about it at least once a month, sometimes twice, uh, and uh, invariably the comment is just strictly, I wish you guys were still doing it. I wish you guys were still doing it. it you know, it, it's one of those things where we were able to put together a production that was a, was, it was a Homer production. We, we were very one-sided Florida State. But our fans, I think, were very, very appreciative of the fact that when there were things wrong or when there was things that went bad or when kids did things that were bad, we would call them out on it. And I think that's where we gained our greatest um, credibility is while we were uh, homers in, in the traditional sense, we weren't afraid to point out the negative, the bad, and what needed to be corrected to the point that, and, and we mentioned this on a previous show, uh, Paul and I, who uh, Paul Kennedy will join us in a couple of segments to to go down that memory lane, who did the play-by-play for all those years, had occasion to have dinner with Coach Bowden about two, three weeks ago. We mentioned that on the show. And Paul shared with me an email that Coach Bowden had sent back to him that obviously inflated Paul's ego, mine too. But basically Coach Bowden saying that that primetime Knowles was a key part of Florida State's success in the dynasty years because we were able to to put something back on the air on Sunday nights, particularly for those that had attended the game, that they could go back and relive and re-see what had happened and that it was uh, instrumental 
and Gordon Coach Bowden's word, instrumental in prolonging and promoting his career, I think was the words that he used. Uh, now, obviously, he was just being nice to us. That's not all that went into it, and certainly probably a very small part of it. But uh, it's part of the Florida State fabric, and right, wrong, or indifferent, we're going to take credit for it. So Paul Kennedy will join us. He obviously is still with Sun Sports. We'll catch up. We had a, a lot of fun for a lot of years. You and PK go back longer than when I crashed the party. Uh, but it was it was a fun run. And, you know, I even thought about this. This is, this is something, and I, I tweeted this out, Keith. Don't worry, he's not joining the show. But if we really wanted to reminisce, we should have Nat Moore on right now because that was, if you want to talk about a beautiful thing. So we would do these primetime knolls, and many of our listeners remember, when it was the FSU-Florida game, it would be a combined FSU-Florida crew. And that, what you talk about, I mean, it's like getting the far left and the far right together because if, it'd be, if I it'd said, be Nancy Pelosi and Donald Trump if I in said, the same room. If I said black, the other side said white. If you said it was uh, offensive pass interference, Nat Moore would be in the booth telling you it was defensive pass interference all day long. And you guys, I mean, we should, I had more people. I had more people ask me, how do, you, how do you put up with him? And, and here's what's unique about that, Tommy. Nat Moore is a genuinely good guy. I mean, you don't do what he's done with the Dolphins in his professional career, and now he's back with the Dolphins in a capacity, a support capacity. Nat was as gracious and kind to me and you, uh, was as easy to get along with. But when that red light came on, he went when, Gatorville. He went Gator once Nation. Once toe met leather. But oh, he went Gator yeah. Nation off the charts. And sometimes I would just look at him and go, where are you coming from? But, but... That's what they wanted to listen to, so that was great. It made for interesting telecast. It did. It did. We had a lot of fun doing that. And then actually, now that I think about it, it wasn't Paul that called those games because he was the FSU guy. So a lot, uh, of, the, a lot of years we had David Steele David do it, Steele who do was it. the voice of the magic. Yep. We had Chip Carey do it one time, uh, maybe a couple years with Correct. us when he was doing it. Anyway, uh, the idea is not for us to, to toot our own horns here, folks, but hopefully – um, as we reminisce, there'll be some interesting stories that will come out, and we'll, we'll save that for when Paul joins us. Let's, let's get to the FSU hot topic, and then uh, Seminoles.com insider Tim Linnefelt will join us next segment, and we'll continue on this theme. I guess I shouldn't have been surprised. I maybe was a little bit. I felt like we were going to be on the quiet, all is quiet on the FSU baseball front, and then the news comes out last night that Mike Bell is the new head coach at the University of Pittsburgh. So first, congratulations to Mike. He's a really good guy. I wish he and Alicia and their kids the best. It's an opportunity to coach in a Power 5 conference. Pitt's not going to be the most desirable place, in my opinion, because you've got weather issues. Uh, you know, you don't have the facility and the, and the longstanding tradition. But nevertheless, it's a good opportunity for Mike. And these are my words, not his. If he has any modicum of success, makes the tournament one year, he'll parlay that into another job and come back south where it's more suitable baseball weather, I would presume. That that would be my – I would echo that same thing. Two things jumped out at me, you know, and they're the obvious things. Number one, you know, there was discussion that Mike would be considered – Mike Bell would be considered to replace Mike Martin Sr. at the end of next year when Mike Martin Sr. left. By him leaving, does that help, hurt, or materially affect any way, shape, form, or fashion his consideration for the head job next year? Don't know. Those that are in power will have to make that decision. But the more intriguing issue slash problem is who does Senior now go get to replace him given the fact that Senior 11 is only going to be here for a year? And obviously the first name that came, the first name that came to my mind was Brian Henry because he's already here, he's local and that type of thing. But it poses an interesting scenario. How much input does anybody else have in it? Uh, do you try to pick somebody for one year, or are you picking for hopefully whoever comes in after 11, they'll keep? I, I, I don't know. It, it raises some interesting issues and questions. So back to Mike Bell, and then I'll get to that part. Mike Bell could have been the next FSU coach and would have been a really good coach, in my opinion. Agreed. He has a great pedigree. He's coached at the SEC. He's coached in the Big 12. He's coached in the ACC. So he's been around. He's well-respected. He played minor league ball for a while, has great Florida ties. He's from the central Florida area. That said, if it's going to be an assistant, it was not going to be Mike Bell. It'll be Mike Jr. So that would be one reason why Mike Bell would have been looking around at other jobs. Another would have been, and I don't know this, and ultimately maybe the fact that he moved on answered the question, would Mike Jr. have kept Mike Bell on staff if Mike Jr. got the job? 
And if that, and or did Mike Bell ask Mike Jr. Right. that question? And so maybe that Mike Bell already has the uncertainty. We don't know if Mike Jr. is getting the job, so it's going to be 50-50 if I'm here next year. But let me at least ask Mike Jr., Mike, if you get the job, am I on the staff or not? And maybe he didn't want to be. It doesn't mean they don't like each other. No, and no, 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 no. I'm not trying to spread any stories no. like that because that's not out there. But uh, if that answer was no, then maybe he said, you know what, that means I'm down to a pretty small percentage chance or maybe no chance that I'm going to be on the staff next year and I got to go. So he's got a good opportunity. In terms of what, what 11 does now, uh, Clyde Keller has been the volunteer assistant. He's a former pitcher. He's been there the last couple of years. He is somebody that by virtue of being the volunteer assistant is not making dollars. And so if you promote him and make him the pitching coach for one year, he's already here. It gives him a chance to get compensated having been here and then he's got assistant coach on his resume, and he can look next year when things open up. If you're at another school right now, it's pretty dicey. Unless you've already lost your job as a pitching coach, it's pretty dicey to give up what you have to come where you don't know where the head coach is going to be. Well, the only reason I bring up Brian is that I would think, even if it was for a one-year purpose, going from a smaller school to a much larger school with the reputation of Florida State would be good on his resume. I, I would agree, and he's been with Jamie Shoup at, at, at Florida A&M. I think that Brian Henry might be a candidate to go with Mike Bell to pit. Don't don't think I hadn't thought of that. That so, was going to be my next comment. Yeah, and, and I don't know. I haven't dug into this, but uh, I don't know. We'll, we'll ask Tim Linnefeld his opinion. I, I'm going to ask your opinion on this right now, Keith. I don't know what you're doing Friday night, but Friday is National French Friday. How many, how many national food days there, do we have? We need well, to there's a national that. day for everything. And Madison Social knows. They, they, oh, keep, they keep the calendar. They may invent a few of them. They, they, they may open. Pretty soon they'll be publishing the calendar. It'll be another revenue stream. Anyway, the Tallahassee French Fry Festival takes place this Friday. Is this the first annual or have they done it before? I think it's the first annual. Twelve different French fries to sample. Four each at Madison Social Township in Centrale. So, you know, you got straight, you got curly, you got waffle, you got all kinds of seasoning. I mean, it's right along Madison Street. There will be booths with cardiologists set up for as soon as you sample the fries. That's that's part of the package. Is there, there's cholesterol-reducing exactly. drugs given out at the same time? And if, if the French fries don't do it, uh, there's a mac and cheese festival on Saturday. Holy cow. All right, we'll get our Seminoles.com insider, Tim Linnefeld, on the horn. Talk to him right after this on Front Row Knowles. Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. Back on Front Row Knowles, we'll revisit Primetime Knowles next segment with Paul Kennedy from Sun Sports. But uh, speaking of primetime, our Seminoles.com insider Tim Linnefelt is standing by and will crank up that Earl Bacon Agency hotline, which got an es- extra uh, week of rest due to the 4th of July holiday. The uh, Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. We say hello to Tim. Tim, how are you? I'm doing great, Tom. How are you? Good. I thought going in... What are we going to talk about? There's nothing to talk about. And then Mike Bell, <laughs> Mike Bell just says, "I'm going to be the pit head baseball coach, and we've got something to talk about." So did you know? Did, I, I had that same thought last night. <laughs> did we know this was coming? Uh, I don't know that we knew specifically, um, but I think you know every off season for the last couple off seasons, uh, you know, his name's been linked to various jobs, and and rightfully so. Uh, you know, he has aspirations of being a head coach, and so uh, you know, I think sort of an annual thing. I, I don't mean to say that. I guess it sounds like a negative when you say it like that, but just you know, you kind of wonder every year. Uh, with a program, and not just him, assistants across the board uh, at Florida State, you kind of wonder uh, what the summer is going to mean for them. So, uh, you know, the, the specifics maybe come as a, as a little bit of a surprise, but uh, but the fact that he's going to be a head coach, uh, I, you know, I think we've been kind of expecting that for a little while now. So do we know in terms of his replacement at FSU? I mean, is Clyde Keller going to move up? Is Clyde Keller going to go with Mike Bell? Is Brian Henry, a former Noel, going to be in the mix in either place? What, what, what speculation can we throw out there right now and see what sticks to him? <laughs> Man alive! No, you you've uh, you really got it. Uh, you know, I think Clyde Keller would be an interesting choice. He, you know, he's already uh, involved with the program. Um, it, it is going to be kind of um, uh, you know a, a unique scenario, and that they're going to be hiring somebody on staff, and, and and theoretically at least, you know, we don't know 
what the, the staff or program is going to look like in a year since we already know that, that Mike Martin's going to be retiring after next season. So my guess is they probably would want to use somebody like, like Clyde Keller or, or maybe even Brian Henry if you'd be interested. You know, he's right across town over at Florida A&M. Uh, somebody with ties to the program uh, who would want to be here. Because otherwise, it's, you know, it's just a hard uh, hard situation to ask an assistant from another program to, uh, you know, across the country or, or out of state or what have you to, to pack up and move and, and not have, you know, a full guarantee of certainty uh, beyond this season. Not to say that you couldn't do that, but it's, it's hard with a, you know, a coaching change of some degree coming uh, within the next year. So, uh, you know, to me, Clyde Keller makes a lot of sense. I haven't heard that. I don't know. Uh, that, that he's uh, you know up for the job or what have you, but uh, he certainly seemed like he would be a good fit. Tim, are we going to have to start uh, Florida State faithful going to have to start pulling for the Panthers? I mean, this is the second assistant coach that has uh, migrated to the to the Steel City. Lance uh, Alpha Sue Simrall's staff was hired a little earlier. We need to start paying attention to that pipeline or what? <laughs> I mean, they got one going, right? I mean, maybe uh, you know, set up a fence around it or something. But uh, no, I, I think it's a good thing. You know, uh, you, you can't blame coaches. Uh, certainly assistant coaches when they get to take over head coaching jobs and, and both Lance and Mike got really good opportunities to go up there and you know pit athletics um, yeah, I don't follow them super super closely but I do have ties to the area so I kind of keep a, an eye on them from the far from afar and they have a new athletics director who uh, is trying to you know get things in gear up there it's been a, been a, a long couple of years especially with the men's basketball program and some other uh, areas up there uh, so they're trying to turn things around and, and, and kind of you know restore pit to you know, I think are reasonable expectations that they haven't been meeting really across the board over the last few years. And, and the fact that they think that Florida State's assistants are the right people to, to sort of lead that charge in some as- aspects. I mean, I think, it, you know, it's a compliment to Florida State and then the athletics department here. You're going to miss those coaches, obviously, but, uh, you know, you got to be happy for them and, and you know, kind of take it to me as a compliment uh, for your own athletics department that, uh, that they're so in demand. I don't know how long she's been there, but this is either the sixth or seventh head coach she's hired in a short time. And it's time. a female uh, AD, which you know is becoming appropriately, increasingly more uh, the especially, case. especially in the ACC, which has yeah. a lot of diversity among yeah. its athletic directors. But the point being, we goes back to the fact, Tim, we we take for granted uh, the consistency and the longevity of the head coaches at, at Florida State because, uh, I mean, Pitt's changing six or seven coaches over probably eight, um, 18 months, two years. I don't know how long it's been. And here we, we replaced a football coach. And other than that, that's kind of what we do. <laughs> right, yeah, and you're, you're third in 40 years or whatever it was, right? Yeah. Let me ask you this question, Tim, and I don't know that you've dug much into this, and, and Keith probably didn't see it, but there was a real interesting post uh, or thread on Twitter or social media from I don't even know what lacrosse publication it was, but basically they did public record requests and looked into – what's going on at Florida State and, and cutting to the quick it seems as if there's a lot of behind the scenes discussion that maybe lacrosse is coming and I would think it would be on the women's side from a gender equity standpoint if FSU does add that do you think that's close to fruition or are we still in a you know trial balloon phase here on that have you heard anything about that no that's been pretty quiet I you know I saw that headline as well I wasn't surprised by it um, mainly because I think that you you know you already sort of have I don't know if the in- infrastructure is the word, but uh, the the foundation for it with uh, you know they they have had club teams uh, play here and have some success, and they've used the band field for for lacrosse and and, and that sort of thing. So it's not an entirely foreign concept. Uh, I can tell you that it's it's been awfully quiet over here as far as potentially adding any new sports. I my opinion is that uh, you know if it does come, I don't think it's going to come for a while, at least another couple of years. Um, and but if they did decide to expand sports, that uh, that those would probably be the most obvious places. Um, but I, I mean, I, I I can't imagine it would be before. I mean, I think 2020 would probably be the earliest. I would think you'd probably want to wait uh, until the ACC network gets off the ground and, and kind of gets established and all those other things uh, before you start looking at expanding sports. But I think if if it is on the radar, uh, I think that those sports probably make the most sense. Well, and I think the other thing, if I interrupt Tom, I think the other thing is there, there's two. Uh, games out there that are uh, of increasing popularity that we just haven't seen here in the south the first is lacrosse the other one's field hockey Uh, both of those sports are very big in the northeast and and spreading west and you're always as an administrator looking for what what if you want to expand what sport can you add And, and tom i think you're exactly right the infrastructure needs would be much different if you were adding a sport um, that required its own stadium or arena or whatever. By adding this, you can you can use some of your existing things. And number two, remember the last time Florida State, my recollection, looked at this, uh, they looked at equestrian. 
which is kind of a different well, uh, there was a time. animal all, all to its own. So I think, I think looking at it and implementing it, it is something that uh, you know the staff has has begun. And and I, I'm amazed. I continue to be amazed by the popularity of both lacrosse and field hockey. We just don't see it in our area. Well, and they'd be a good fit within the ACC because there's some schools that are, are really competitive in that. I, I will say this, and we'll we'll change the topic. And I don't have the numbers in in front of me, but from a gender equity standpoint, Florida State would need to add a women's sport first correct uh because they're not completely where they need to be what but do we have 19 is that how many 20 we have 20 now 20 uh and again I, I don't know the numbers but basically because florida state has made good progress i mean the last two sports they've added were beach volleyball on the women's side and soccer uh even though they're i don't think they're technically in the percentages they're supposed to be at they're making progress and moving the right direction so it's not a scenario i can't see a scenario where they would add both men's and women's they'd have to start with women's all right tim i, I know that you can't delve too much into recruiting but if we're going to invite 10,000 people to come to a recruiting event and try to fill up, uh, you know, make an impression at Doak Campbell, there must be at least something you can share about this event that <laughs> Coach Taggart and the staff have planned. So what can you tell us? Uh, well, I mean, just, you know, I think kind of what you know is that uh, it, you know, it's an opportunity to, to bring in some, some high-profile recruits. And from what we've been able to gather, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're shooting high with, with who they're inviting to this thing, uh, you know, some of the – the, the top rated guys and you can you know, check out the, the recruiting rankings and, and, and see uh, exactly who we're talking about but you know you want them there and then then uh, you know give them a taste of the atmosphere in Tallahassee and you know the idea is to to come play uh, at least you know play to some degree in that stadium and uh, and see what the fan base is like and see what the uh, you know by me I wouldn't call it a game day atmosphere but uh, but something at least similar to it uh, and, and give that opportunity so you know I think you know to me by by inviting the public and then uh, and, and opening up to fans, it's kind of saying, hey, you know, give us a hand here, help us out, and, and show, you know, what this, the stadium like is just uh, maybe a slice of what the stadium is like uh, on a game day and make an impression on these guys. I mean, you know, I think that's pretty cool, um, you know, just in and of itself, big picture-wise. Um, you know, anything that you can do to uh, involve your, your fan base and your supporters and your community, make them feel like they're a part of the team, make them feel like they have, you know, a, a role to play, however small, uh, it may be this, you know, say, hey, you know, you know, I see that you say, hey, fans, you know, come check it out. It's, it's we value your presence. We want you to be here. And uh, to me, that's a pretty cool thing. Well, two things. Number one, uh, remind our listeners that what we're talking about, I think they've tentatively called it Saturday Night Live or something like that. Right. It's going to be on July 28th in Campbell Stadium, Dope Campbell Stadium from four to six. And they're bringing in um, prospective athletes. These are kids that that are eligible to be signing scholarships in the next two years, both uh, 2019 and 2020. And uh, the second part of it, Tim, I, I think – well, first of all, we've got to remember Oregon did it last year with Coach Taggart, and they had about 7,000 show that, up. That was going to be my question. Yeah. Is and But secondly, this is not, this is not about in doing something to involve the fans. Let's be fair here. What you want to show is these recruits that on July 28th, on a Saturday, we can have 10,000 people show up just to watch you run around in shorts. This is to impress the recruits. This is not to give the fans anything to do. But you are It'll checking give, both it, boxes. It, you are, but let's be fair. I, I want the, the number one recruit here and the number one recruit there and the number two recruit here to see that on a on a middle of the summer – when nothing else is going on, we can, we can make a we can do something, and ten thousand people will show up. That's the kind of support you're going to have if you come to Florida State University. Yeah, no, sounds sounds good to me. I think we're I think we're making the same point a little bit. Uh, I, I agree with you uh, exactly right. But you know, the, the point being, you know, you said if if uh, you're trying to show the recruits, hey, we're, we have ten thousand people to show up and watch you run around in shorts. Well. You need to appeal to those people to come. So uh, to me, it's a it's a two way street. But uh, and it's like, such like a good idea. Both boxes. It's such a good idea that I guarantee you the NCAA is going to ban well, it in another well, year. Well, so, he, so here's my question: He did it at Oregon and it was successful. It, it's it's two part, Tim. Is anybody else doing this? And from a compliance standpoint, I guess the university can't publicize who's here, and there can't be any interaction between whoever it is that's here and the fans. I mean, I'm just I don't know the rule book. I'm just presuming those are a couple of things that have to be laid out. Yeah, I, I know. I'm not sure as far as is, is publicizing to the community um, if any other folks are doing that. I know I mean, stuff like this has happened before, uh, and just you know, a lot of major programs have something similar, and it's always you know a variation of you know Friday Night Lights or Saturday Night Live or you know something like that. Uh, I think if you remember like you know 
eight or nine years ago, uh, I think it was under, uh, still when Coach Bowden was here, they had the, I think it was the Seminole Showcase. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gary Rice and some other guys were here, and I think that was open to the public. I can't remember for sure. It's been a minute. So, you know, things like this aren't entirely unique. Um, I think getting the, the fans and community involved and, and letting them come watch and check it out, um, I don't know that that's as common, but, uh, but I suspect it will be uh, certainly as soon as, uh, you know, uh, you know, it's one thing. I mean, I don't mean to slight Oregon at all, but uh, we know kind of how uh, news from the Pacific Northwest can can be slow making its way over here to the East Coast. You know, if Florida State does something like this and it's successful, uh, I think you're going to hear about it. Little known fact, you know, Keith and I open up the studio to the masses every Wednesday when we tape this show. I mean, and we get well, Matthew's here every week anyway. Keith, there's a poster of Jeff Cameron. Does that count? Yeah, well, and it's a. <laughs> I mean, it's 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 more than life size. Unfortunately, he's got a big mouth, but I mean, this thing's really big. <laughs> Tim, what else on the Florida State front? Oh, well, you know, it's uh, it, it's pretty quiet here right now. It's sort of the calm before the storm uh, next week with, uh, with ACC football kickoff coming up. I know we'll talk about that more uh, in the days to come. But uh, but that's you know, I think kind of the biggest thing um, on the radar is sort of setting the tone for for the football season. Always kind of a fun event, and I think this is the the most interesting ACC kickoff, uh, you know, at least from a Florida State perspective in a while. Probably the most interesting Florida State football season in a while. Uh, but just to kind of see the the ACC's perception of, of where the program stands and and uh, you know how how much people are anticipating uh, the the Willie Taggart era and what they think the first year is going to look like, I'm uh, I'm pretty curious to see that. Like I said I know we uh, we uh, we'll get more into that uh, you know in the days to come, but that's sort of what's uh, what's looming on the horizon, if you will. We'll hold those thoughts uh, for next week's show, and uh, we'll we'll talk. I mean, it's been announced that Brian Burns and Cam Akers are going to be the spokesmen that uh, Coach Taggart is bringing. So we'll delve into that uh, next week. Tim, uh, take the rest of the week off, would you? Thanks, Tom. I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. Tell Elliot that uh, we approved it. <laughs> He's our Seminoles.com insider, Tim Linnefelt. Keith, Paul Kennedy has probably been sending texts and ringing the other line here at uh, I've gotten two. 97.9 I've ESPN gotten two. Tallahassee because, because we're a couple minutes late in placing this call. So we'll go to break, and then we'll get PK on the line, and it's all coming up next on Primetime Knowles. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener. Online at ctf.nu. Here's Tom and Keith. Back on Front Row Knowles. Been looking forward to this conversation since we set it up. Our our former partner in prime, as I called him, is on the line. Paul Kennedy, as we go back to the Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. PK, how are you? I'm doing great. I'm uh, sitting here with my uh, renegade stuffed horse stall. I've got my face paint on, wearing my Marvin Jones jersey. I'm I'm all ready to go. <laughs> so it's just a typical Wednesday in July for you, PK. That, that's what I'm saying. Counting down the days till uh, opening day, and Coach uh, Willie Taggart kicks it off. Yeah, I'm all fired up. Just really, really am. I'm curious, Paul. You know, the genesis of this. Keith and I obviously are in Seminole territory here in Tallahassee, and we run into people quite frequently that'll mention primetime Knowles yeah. and how they miss it. You must encounter some of that in your travels as well. You're, uh, I, I don't even know. Are you living in South Florida or Orlando? These Orlando's- yeah, Well, both because the, the network, which you helped found and Keith helped found, which was sunshine network that the athletic director, Hootie Ingram and Bobby Bowden helped put together with Dave Olmstead. Exactly. Uh, 30 years ago in 1988 is now Fox. So I'm down in South Florida, uh, a lot with the Fox Studios now. They have real huge studios, Tommy. We used we began in a Quonset hut on Capitol Circle Northeast <laughs> in Tallahassee, you know, in a prefabricated building. Now they've got high-rise buildings, but I'm down here a lot. I'm in Orlando as well, in Tampa with the Magic. And Orlando is a particularly strong Florida State alumni base. And with people that have been on the Board of Trustees, the, and Jimmy Hewart, Manny Garcia, those type individuals that are uh, phenomenal benefactors to the university, and they're always asking, and their families are always asking about the Seminoles and, and how much they, they they treasured the days when we were all together doing the doing the replays and all. PK, you mentioned uh, Hootie Ingram, and and Florida State fans may not be aware, but uh, you know prior to the mid '80s. 
the NCAA controlled television rights, and you'd have one, maybe two games on every mm-hmm. week. And the particular schools that were involved would get paid a check. The conferences weren't involved. There was no conference television. And then Oklahoma and Georgia, University of Oklahoma and University of Georgia, sued the NCAA over the rights associated with broadcasting this. What many don't know is that Hootie Ingram was part of that. He served on the original CFA committee. And when those, those Supreme Court decisions came down, Hootie was open to uh, having Florida State televised. And that was against what most athletic directors wanted. Athletic directors 30 years ago were scared to death that if you put the product on television, people would not show up for the games. And therefore, you couldn't sell tickets. And there was no television revenue. So if you were giving up something to get nothing, there wasn't anything there. But Hootie didn't view it that way. How about that? If it was more marketing and promotion, it would elevate the perspective of the university. Exactly. And exactly. Well, I always thought I always thought in the business model I know that we had, Sunshine Network had, probably get us sued today. But with the state legislature, they created half of the programming wasn't a ton of half of it was public affairs during the day. Correct. And we would televise the Senate and the House of Representatives. The governor would have a show. They would do that during the day. And the cable systems then became also partners, equity partners in our network. They were owners. So they they had, were owners. Right. They had a financial incentive to put us on all the different cable systems around the state. And so we immediately had over a million homes, and it's grown over 7 million now. But we had an audience. And Florida, the Florida Gators, did not have a similar leverage point, And they could not get clearance on their Gator vision. They could not get on the systems. And I, and I do believe, and I don't know what to what degree, but we were televising. Tommy, how many different sports did you televise? Uh, well, starting, basketball, volleyball, baseball. Yeah, starting in the mid-'90s, uh, all that. Everybody, I, I all mean, of them. Certainly volleyball, all. men's and women's basketball, baseball, softball. Yeah. Soccer when it came yeah. along. Soccer. Yeah, you know, if you can call soccer, you can call anything. That is a, a great challenge. But the point being is, that and 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 in Bowden and football, there were in primetime Knowles, which Gene Deckerhoff voiced every week. Well, what was it? No, it was uh, was it Seminole Uprising? Seminole was Uprising. That the the yeah, show? that was a phenomenal show that the students helped produce a half hour show. That gave them a platform, so there was a fire hose of marketing and exposure coming out of Tallahassee for the university and its athletic department. And it was not coming out of Gainesville, and it, to a degree, obviously, not coming out of Miami. And I think that contributed to some of the success or the popularity that they were enjoying in the decade of the 90s because they were also winning national championships, but they were being showcased. Didn't you feel that way? I felt like we were contributing to the, to the good of the cause. More than just televising a game. Yeah, I certainly uh, – I mean – you can't there's one thing to have a job and get paid a few shekels to do something there's another thing to be involved in the program that raised you and to be hands-on as you and i both know we had access to all the coaches we had access to the players uh i mean it, it was unrivaled uh the the things that we could do in terms of interviews and specials and and profiles and uh when tommy came along in the mid 90s the 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 ability to get former players on the sidelines for Tom to sneak into the huddle, you know, and, and come back and say, well, they've been looking to try to do this. Now they're going to try to do that. Coach Bowden yeah, we knew did, what was coming. Yeah, he didn't, Coach Bowden didn't coming. always like that part, but uh, <laughs> there was access that fans could see, and particularly for those that had gone to the game and then could go back home and relive it again on Sunday nights. There was such a love and trust, and I'm I'm prayerful that it will – it will uh, happen again with Coach Taggart, it, that everybody cared. There was such harmony. And trust and loyalty is a great word. We approached these games with our humble budgets, but our big hearts, like it was Super Bowl Sunday. We were going in there like we were the ABC game of the week. And Mark Richt, when he was the offensive coordinator, would allow us and Brett would, would allow us to come in his office and he re- remember this and share the game plan. And oh, yeah. he would talk to us and Chuck Amato would talk to us and Odell Hagens about what they were going to do on Friday. 
going to Coach Rick's office was just so special. And uh, that's those are the, the the times that I treasure. And being able to go out <laughs> go out on the field and listen to Mickey Andrews coach defensive backs on a Tuesday and Wednesday or in two a days. You could have charged admission for that. That was so entertaining. Well, you might have had and to get a waiver to... sign, but you could charge no. admission. <laughs> Remember, Mickey, some of those oh, yeah. lines, you know, you're dealing with an 18-year-old. But you'd say, hey, you know, they're running drills, and Mickey's barking at him. And the young man's intimidated, I'm sure, but Mickey's barking at him. And he said, go over to the tower there now and ask Coach Bowden to remind me why we gave you a scholarship. <laughs> or, uh, or I need, remember, he's talking to an 18-year-old kid, petrified of Mickey. He says, hey, I need your mother's phone number because I got a call and apologize for lying to her when I promised her you could play at Florida State. <laughs> <laughs> and the poor kid, his eyes are as big as silver dollars. He doesn't know what to make of it. But he had, he had, we were there, and there was Dion, and there was Terrell Buckley, and and there was the Fab Four over in the corner. It was, it was just glorious times. I think when you go to football heaven, when that day comes, and you go to your great reward, that's what it's going to look like. And Marvin Jones, of course, will be up on the bluff underneath the shade tree, <laughs> trying to avoid the uh, scorching heat. We're talking with uh, Paul Kennedy, our longtime friend, former colleague, when uh, Keith and I were with Sunshine Network and Sun Sports. All right, so in terms of primetime Knowles, I think I have the math right on this. I think, first of all, you the network launched in 88, as you mentioned, Paul. And yeah. to Keith's point about athletic directors being afraid, in the, in the early years, the games that Sunshine televised, I was not involved with, but they were pay-per-view games. Because A lot of them. There was, there was going to be some revenue somewhere for somebody if you were perhaps scaring off people from going to the, the stadium. So what was the, what was the first game that uh, you remember calling, Paul? Well, we, we, the first game in, uh, in 88, the season opened with the infamous rap video at Miami. Remember that? And they didn't do well. So they came home and in Doak. And uh, we did uh, Southern Miss with Brett Favre, a quarterback, and Florida State with a mat on. And I remember that, Keith. Oh, yeah. What do you remember most, Keith, from that game? Number I, one, remember, I, I remember us meeting on Friday and trying to decide if it was Favre or Favre. <laughs> <laughs> do we pronounce it like it's spelled, or do we pronounce it like the pronunciation in the Southern Miss media guide? It was, this was uh, Curly Hallman was the coach of Southern Miss. They were exceptional for that program, and a year later would defeat Florida State in Jacksonville on opening day. But on this day, what I remember most from that game, Tom, and Keith, bear me out on this, is Favre went back to pass and threw the ball down the middle of the field, and Deion Sanders picked it off. And going to the far sideline, right to left, was gone down the sideline for a touchdown. And, and, and uh, who would have known? Who could have projected? Obviously, both of them were well-known as college athletes, but how could you fast-forward 30 years and know and know the, the, the prestige position, whatever, that both of those two kids, now grown men, would enjoy in the NFL? Two of the most prominent figures in the history of college football. They're both enshrined in Canton in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And that's just 30 years ago. And uh, just, that was the same Deion Sanders when we were playing Tulane, and the score may have been 70 to nothing at halftime in the, in the Superdome. But came up, do you remember this game? Yeah, he was injured. He wasn't playing. He wasn't injured. He had on sunglasses, jerry curls, a suit. And a big and chain, or several of them. Several chains. Uh, he, he was a jewelry store, a mobile jewelry store to himself. Uh, but uh, wonderful. He kept calling me my man. Is what uh, he was just. He was wonderful. He came on came on the air with us uh, back in the days when Florida State scheduled. They would play uh, universities, and and we would just try, Tommy, to to hope that the other team, the opponent, could stay in the game till halftime. Uh, yeah, we went. How many years did we go before we televised the loss? It was over a decade. I can't recall a loss until, you know, until the latter part of the 90s. And they were, so many of them were record setting 
we would record-setting performances. We would have a sheet come, and on Friday you'd go through all the records again to remember how many touchdown passes, how many receiving yards, how many rushing yards, how many tackles, because they were dominating the opposition to such a degree. You know a record was going to be set. It wasn't a case of winning and losing. They were going to rewrite the record books, and they were doing it each and every week. All right, let's fast Remember forward. This. Let's fast forward. Yeah. Here, here's an anomaly of um, uh, primetime Knowles. The same stadium, excuse mm-hmm. me, the same city, different stadiums, where we were the coldest and where we <laughs> were the wettest. You remember those? Oh, I think it's the same place. Well, uh, Louisville is what we're talking about. I can see Tom Block right now. I remember the, the second time we went to Louisville, uh, maybe 2004, five. Tommy, you, uh, we went and outfitted you in foul weather gear. You looked like you were going out because you're going to have to be on the sidelines and it was going to rain. I was looking for like the arc. He was you Jim Cantori like before Jim Cantori. It was two. It was 2002. What are those fishing shows now? Uh, uh, dangerous catch and stuff. Deadliest like that. catch. Like Deadliest catch. He looked like he was going to go out on the bow of a fishing trawler on the high seas. But remember, three or four years before that, before they actually built. Um, Papa John Stadium. We did a game in the old fairgrounds, oh, yeah. and it was so me cold. and you and Gene Deckerhoff and and, and Prinzi outside, and it was thirteen degrees. Yeah, and howling, and it was howling. You couldn't keep your paper, Tommy. It, you know how you do spotting charts, and you have the depth of every player and all his stats and whatever, and you got this note and that note. The wind was blowing to such a degree, and we're sitting there in ski caps and scarves, and I mean, numb to the bone, and our eyes are water. I'm just holding a flip card in front of me. That's it. That's all I got. And uh, and you look over at Deckerhoff, and he's got a ski cap on with a little ball up top, a tube with a little ball. And the only thing like you see is his eyes and his mouth because the nose is covered. <laughs> and Prenzy's over there with cowboy boots on. Uh, just uh, and, and jeans, and I mean, he he is slender to begin with, the late Vic Prenzy, and he is shivering. I mean, it's like taking a three year old out of the pool in March. <laughs> it was amazing. And that was the Schnellenberger. Schnellenberger is the head coach of Louisville, and they weren't bad. He had been making some progress. That may have been the team, or it was around the era when he went. I think, unless I'm getting my years crossed, that he defeated Alabama and he got bowl game out in the Fiesta. But it was, I remember, that was so cold. And then they built that stadium. And to my point with Tom, we come in after the game, and he is dry to the knees, and that's where the coat stopped. And from the knees down, it looks like he's been standing in a lake. And and that was one of the, the rare setbacks. That was a Chris Ricks over. overtime game. Yeah. In th- overtime. Those, those shoes did not return to Tallahassee. I just threw them out in Louisville somewhere. <laughs> combination of frustration and there was no point in bringing them back because they were they were trashed anyway so do you remember some of the first the great games where we would go in when king of the road bobby and being king of the road you'd go into places and he would hit them in the mouth with the with the first couple of plays of the game like at michigan and and uh at south carolina and it comes and the game would be over not over, but they would be reeling right away. I remember, when did we go to Notre Dame? And the Seminoles were all white with the gold helmets. Oh, three. Oh, three. Oh, three. 30 to 30? nothing, 31 to nothing. What was it? 37, right. maybe. Something that like was, that. That was a Chris Ricks game, wasn't it? It was All and, Saints Day. And Florida was it really? State, it, was all, yeah, it was November 1st, and Florida State shut out Notre Dame. That Caronzo Thorpe had an unbelievable game. Yeah, That's right. Up the left sideline. Boom, he throws over the top. You know, for all the Chris Ricks controversies and what I remember that game against Notre Dame. Just went in there and pounded Notre Dame. And uh, you take those days, well, you just long for those days. I remember that. They were dressed in all white, and as John says, all Saints Day. Well, let's, uh, let me see if I can remind you of another day. You call me, this would be in the mid-80s, uh, excuse me, mid-90s. You call me up and says, uh, KJ, we've got to go do a radio interview. I said, why do we got to do a radio interview? He says, there's a young guy that's called me 17 times, wants us to go out and do a, a, a radio interview. And I said, how much am I getting paid for this? And you said nothing. And that, that was the time when there was no checky, no goey for, for KJ. <laughs> no checky, no goey. And you convinced me. We went out Park Avenue 
And there was a little hut on the left-hand side of Park Avenue, and we sat down and did a one-hour radio interview with a student at Florida State University. You remember who that uh, young man's name is? Uh, Tom Block. That would be one Tom Block. Tom Block. Just you to knew s- it right away, didn't you? Just oh, to I, right did. Away. I did. Just to set the record straight, it would have been between 91 and 93, because that's when I was there. Okay. So I'll take mid-90s, but I'm older than that. <laughs> and for and now, lo- this is Tom Block with two two degrees, including a graduate degree. Yeah, and yet, and it's still things. doing radio. So, what does that tell you, Paul? <laughs> <laughs> the more things change, the more they stay the same. So, for for people in Tallahassee, they'll remember this. The, the station was WTAL, which was fourteen fifty on the AM, and it was it was uh, on Park Avenue between Blairstone and Reese Park Lane. It's not there now. And it looked like a crack shack. I mean, I can't imagine that, you, that if you drove by that house, you had to think that drugs were being dealt in that house because there was a random four cars parked crazily, and the house had not had a lick of repairs done to it since it was built in 1932. And there was a radio station inside of it. Yeah, so that's true. And Keith, you're still not getting a checky for that appearance, but I do I appreciate it. I understand. Uh, no checky, no appearance. But weren't those glorious days? In 93, they win that national... They win that national championship just with Charlie Ward. And think of the, the, the moments, the games that come back. I went to the um, the uh, College Football Foundation Hall of Fame, and there is a table there. They, were, they had all of the inductees coming. Coach Bowden was being honored uh, there, and uh, that's the one in the Waldorf Astoria, and you wear black tie and all. And Coach Bowden, this wasn't all that long ago, 10 years ago, Coach Bowden – has a table there. It's a reception about uh, midday. All the media is there. There's got to be a thousand people in this banquet room. And there's an empty seat. And Charlie is there. And Ann is there. And a couple other people. And Coach Bowden says, Paul, come over here and sit right here. That way you'll take it up. Nobody else is going to come and sit here. I may not want to talk to. But we can just visit. And so I sat there and visited with Bobby Bowden and Charlie Ward and, and thought, what up? blessed moment that was and you, you you could recognize everybody in the room but there was just that humbleness and sincerity to him charlie's back in tallahassee now he but, is uh, yeah we had him on the show a couple months ago we did just just great just awesome pk yeah we we uh we don't have enough time to tell all the stories so we're gonna have to do this again because there's we didn't even get to the good stuff really uh we oh wait a minute, Paul! Paul, Miami. Tom Hastings is on the line. Tom Hastings is on the line. He'd like to call him. He'd like to call in and holler at us. <laughs> Tom Hastings was our director, who we annually presented with a, a trophy in honor of the uh, late great Wayne McDuffie. He's the uh, toughest, toughest man that walked the face of the earth. Remember, Coach, in those offensive lines that he had. And uh, Tommy was like that in the truck. Didn't he get wound up? He could. Uh, he, was- he he could express himself. Yes. Uh, it was great. And to see the stadium, where it's gone from, remember the, the metal, the erector set when Dion was running toward an open north end zone. And you go into Doak Campbell now, and it's a Taj Mahal. And that's all. I, I hope we had a little bit to do with that. I know from the people I talk to, they still miss primetime Knowles. It's good to hear your voice, PK. Yeah, same here. I love you, Tommy. Love you, Keith. You bet. Paul Kennedy from primetime Knowles. I'm I'm. Kind of getting teary-eyed, Keith. I miss those days. Well, except uh, those Friday uh, m- meetings when uh, we'd get ready to go, and Paul would go, "Well, one more thing. Let's talk about this. Yeah, one more, just one more, one thing. more thing." And 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 colored pencils and highlighters. Have you ever seen? He talked about his spotting charts. Have you ever seen a more colorful spotting chart than one authored by one Paul we'll, Kennedy? We'll explain that on the other side of this break. Stay with us here on Front Row Knowles. We don't need no thought control No dark sarcasm in the classroom Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. We'll finish up here, KJ, and finish that story. Paul was very meticulous, still is, I imagine. But to your point about the multicolored pens and all that, 
and I've I've kept stats for a lot of broadcasters over the years. I came up that way before broadcasting myself, and it's interesting because very few of them really have typed notes and extremely organized sheets in front of them. Now, football, you'll have a type spotting chart, but for other sports, not so much. They tend to be more, it's handwritten, and uh, their system works for them, but not for anybody else. Well, Paul, I mean, he if it was an interception, it was going to be written in red ink. And if it was a fumble, it was going to be written in blue ink. And if it was a pass, it was going to be in green. And the and, starters were highlighted in yellow. And if you were second I mean, team, you were in green. If you were third team, you were in purple. I mean, it, it, he really had a system down. It worked for him. He was meticulous. In he also the one that I me. end up with a legal pad that's got a bunch of chicken yeah. scratch on it that I can't even read after the game. But during the broadcast, I muddle through. He's also the one that taught me to tear paper by using your hotel room key. And you can tear a straight line on any size paper if you properly right. use a room key. Well, he's also, and this wouldn't have been his trick, but uh, broadcasters do this. You get an old-time... Uh, I don't even know what kind of timer you call it, where the sand disappears yep, through, whatever yep. that timer's called. Egg timer. Egg timer. Just set one in front of you while you're doing a broadcast, and every time it's empty and you flip it, reset, time score. reset the time, time and score, score time because score. your listener needs to know. So every time two minutes, you just flip that thing. Uh, anyway, good guy. Good to catch up with Paul. And uh, I got a couple more primetime Knowles thoughts. I don't know that we have much time, but I do need to mention, if you've got a do-it-yourself project that needs to be finished, go see Ron and his knowledgeable staff at Cornerstone Tool and Fastener for all your power tool needs. They've got two locations to choose from. You can call them at 580-1200 or visit them online at ctf.nu. And if you use Paul Kennedy to sketch out whatever project it is you're working on, you can be guaranteed that uh, it will be very meticulous and easy to read and you'll understand what you're doing. Can you imagine if he was an architect? That's what I mean. The drawings. That, that's what I'm saying. So I, I just I was trying to do the math on it. It may be it may be different. This I think in terms of my involvement in primetime Knowles, Keith. So the network started in '88. I think the first broadcast I did as a sideline guy was at Duke in '96, and then in '98 that was the season we started doing every home game. And then in 02, we started doing every game because our first game on the road as part of that package was the Iowa State Eddie Robinson Classic in Kansas City. Kansas City, correct. And then we went through the 2010 season. And so our very last primetime Knowles was the ACC championship game, Jimbo's first year that FSU lost to Virginia Tech. I think that that's the math for me. Now, I don't know if you were doing... Well, mine goes two years earlier because I started in 86 okay. doing games with... Um, Dave Neal, I believe it was, out of uh, Jacksonville under what was then the Clearview Cable. Dave Reed. Dave Reed, correct. Thank you. And that morphed into a gig that you had for a couple of years, also on Fox, uh, excuse me, uh, uh, Sun Sports, uh, with the nightly news telecast. Uh, It's amazing how close-knit and how how there's about four degrees, three degrees of separation amongst all of those people. So I technically went from 86 – to 2010 so my mine mine's a quarter of a century a quarter of a century of doing some you games. are old no I wonder that beard, no wonder that beard is well. very old brother very old <laughs> well it has evolved from primetime Knowles to front row Knowles. we miss doing those broadcasts but uh, we're glad that you listen to this show next week we're going to talk uh, exclusively acc because we'll be in the middle of conference media days acc kickoff will be about to happen and uh, we will prognosticate and pontificate about the year ahead. You're number one of the Willie Taggart. That's next week. Thanks so much for tuning in, and we'll talk to you then on Front Row Knowles. Yeah, yeah.